Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Mark chapter 9 is where we're headed today as we continue to the healings of Christ. Um, if you've not been with us, we've been in a longer series looking at the life of Christ now for about 14 months. And uh, we are looking now at different aspects of Jesus' ministry. And so we are in the healings of Jesus. This is, unless the Spirit does something different, this is the second to last week of this particular series as we have been finding the similarities as well as the differences and the uniquenesses of each of the healings uh, that we were exploring um, and what they mean to our lives today. So we are digging into the messianic miracles at this point. Again, these uh, four miracles or these four healings were things that were being taught by the Jewish leadership at the time that only the Messiah could do it. That any other healing, God could be with people, different things, but these four were so hard that only the Messiah would do it. So if you see someone do one of these four, that's the Messiah, but yet that's not quite the way things went. So we'll explore that as we go. But in this particular section, we're in the third one. We're going to find a situation that uh, happens after kind of a, a, a famous, uh, but I think somewhat uh, hard to understand for many folks, situation right after the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we see a situation come, come up that speaks to this third type of healing. So we're going to start out in verse 14. Again, there's Bibles around the room and the baskets on the chairs if you need one, or uh, you can use your version as well, the online app. But we're just going to start 14 and see what we find. It says, when they, uh, which we'll explain here in a second, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately he convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cost, cast him into fire or into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, we'll stay with the same cycle. Let's talk about cast of characters, who we have and where we're at. We're in Galilee. So again, if you've got Galilee up here, get Jesus' home country. You've got Samaria in between, then you've got Judea, which is kind of the main hub of Jerusalem and the, the Jewish faith at the time. Desert region, but Galilee, very much more relaxed, um, beautiful, kind of more like Smoky Mountain type feel. 
the, the sea is there, beautiful place that they're at. So this is usually where he goes when he wants to go home or where things, when persecution, he has to get away from persecution into this area. But we're going to find that the persecution is spreading still. And so in this particular case, we've got uh, the three. When we look at that first uh, part of the verse, it says, when they came to the disciples, there's three disciples and Jesus right there. So we've got Jesus, the one that we're learning about and growing to be more like, Peter, James, and John. Um, like I said, this is right after the, uh, the, the illumination or the revealing of Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, I think the youth group just learned about this, uh, talking about being in high places and valleys uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, and it was after that experience, when they come out of this mountaintop experience, to a valley situation. There's an argument. There's a fight. So we've got those three plus Jesus coming back into the mix. Then you have the rest of the disciples, the ones that were dealing with the crowd. Uh, so we've got all the disciples here. We've got uh, a, a confused crowd. I, I would label it a confused crowd. You almost have to um, map out where is the crowd and when is the crowd within this story because they're there, there's an argument, and then Jesus pulls away from them, and then they come chasing back after. So we have a lot of Galilean, Jewish Galileans in this mix, uh, and then we have scribes. And if you ever want to do kind of an interesting study that I think will kind of help your understanding when you're reading through the life of Christ is to do a study on what's the difference between Pharisees, Sadducees, who are the scribes, who are the teachers of the law, um, who, who, who are the, the, the rabbis, how, how does all this work into place? The scribes mostly work within the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees are those who believe in an afterlife, the Sadducees do not. Uh, they are meticulous, learned men. We'll just put it that way, meticulous, learned men. They are charged with copying and distributing and furthering the scripture, especially the Old Testament as we know it today. Um, they would die hard on it. When we talk about all the different transcripts, and we're going to talk about this a little bit again today, all matching, all by hand, over uh, hundreds and hundreds of over thousands of documents uh, being so meticulous, it's because the scribes were so meticulous. They would not just make sure that they got the word right. They would count how many letters, how many spaces. Let's make sure we got that right. It was a very, um, it was a very detailed mission for them. It was a hard calling. It was what God called them to do. So they were very, very serious about it. And we can thank the scribes that we have the scripture that we do today from the, the Old Testament pa passed down and passed throughout. Uh, the challenge is there are also some of the main people who created oral law. And we were talking about oral laws. We go through this where it's man-made added stuff to create walls around what God called us not to do so you can't get to the sin. So it's, you know, keep the Sabbath, but spin on the ground is is possibly works. They don't do that. Like all these extra things that Jesus has been taking away and not necessarily following because it's not godly. And what they have done is they have preserved the word while also nullifying it with their own main laws. So the scribes give us a lot of benefits. They also give us a lot of struggles. And in Jesus' time in this place, they are challenging anything that feels like it's challenging the scripture, which is Jesus, which is his teaching, which is his movement. So we do have a, a massive debate going on here, especially when people are coming to him, getting healed, casting out demons. They come to the, the disciples, disciples, no problem, cast him out, and it doesn't work. So it's a very kind of volatile situation that, that will end with, the, with a lot of people within this. So with that, let us um, look at the situation. I think it's a painful situation, especially uh, with having so many religious within it, because the father and son, the last two characters, are the ones that are being used, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think the disciples are trying to use them. I think they're trying to help them. 
but realistically in this battle of them going back and forth, they're, they're not there to minister, most of them, to the Father and Son. They, they, they use their affliction to prove a point, and that's devastating when that happens in the church. It's devastating. So let's go through the, these um, the different things we talk about. Uh, before we put up on the screen, what's number one? I've been doing this for six What's that? Okay, you guys are going to have to move fast because Jenny Houck's out of notes right on her hand. There we go. We don't deserve his move, but he does move. Uh, again, we've talked about this from a spiritual standpoint. This is a true point. That's what Hest is all about, that when we can really have the right to expect nothing from God, but he gives us everything. Um, we are sinners, and we need him, and it's through his reconciliation, through Jesus Christ, that brings us into freedom and brings us back into life. And so he, this is something beautiful about it. We, we don't deserve him, but boy, is he he's good. He's good. Uh, circumstances are not good, always, by far, but he is good. And we found time after time, matter of fact, every single one of the healings we looked at so far, that there's somewhat of a metaphor within them as far as the person being tended to is someone who culture doesn't think is deserving, but Jesus steps up and loves on. In this case, we do have a Jewish uh, person that's a Gentile, like we've had in past cases. So he's got that going for him. We've got a man instead of a woman. Uh, again, no dog here, but back in that culture, that was a, a major difference between the two. But even though he's a Jewish man, he does have a demon-possessed son. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with, either personally or with someone that you love, someone that is dealing with a demon possession or a demonic influence. Um, and I'm not going to get into all that today. If you want to go into it more, either call me. I'd love to talk to you about your particular situation. Or you can go to our YouTube channel and search Spiritual Warfare. And there's a study in there from a few years ago that goes pretty in-depth on how angels and demons and God and Satan and all these things work in our day-to-day -day life and more extreme situations as well. Uh, but in this particular case, if you've not really had experience with it, um, by golly, nobody wants to hang out with these people. Nobody wants to be around them. As we've gone through these different healings and we talk about how there would be a stigma on the blind man because he's been blind, so there must be sin in his life. There must be sin in his parents' life. Uh, as that is a continuing theme in their culture uh, with the leprosy, there must be sin in their life. There, there must be something that they've done that's made God angry. So this is the way he's playing. Imagine how they look upon a father and a son who's demon-possessed, that falls down rigid, that foams at the mouth, that falls about. It's not necessarily a situation where people are comfortable with, let alone uh, in this particular crowd situation. So, again, the, despite the, the, uh, the, the issues that are here, that you're going to be looked down upon there. And I, I'll throw this out as a theory um, that I, I believe. But uh, I believe the dad doesn't have a very high opinion of himself. Um, only because, and maybe I'm reading too much into it personally, but when you're, you're a parent... Uh, if you're a decent parent at all, you want to protect your kids. You want them to have the best. Um, it kills you when your kid comes home and they were bullied at school and there's nothing you could really do about it, you know, if you're a good parent. Uh, can you imagine watching this over and over and over and over again and you can't do nothing? You've been a good Jewish man all your life, you can't do anything. Uh, I, th I think there's struggles there as far as feeling uh, just in despair and, again, being used in the, in the suffering. And I think it overwhelms Jesus to the point to where he, he says uh, in verse 19, you faithless generation, 
How long am I to be with you? How, how long am I supposed to be keeping doing this cycle? Um, but bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Which takes us to our second point. Don't put it up yet. Who is it besides Jenny Houck? Jenny's already cheating. She's already got the notes out. She's like, I'm going to do a repeat. Faith, no, close. Close. That's right. Number two. Jesus isn't for show or worldly standards. Good job. If it helps any at all, for some reason in my head when I go through them, I skip number two. I always think faith matters as number two, but it's not. Number two, Jesus isn't for show. Um, notice there's a massive crowd. Notice that there's a fight between the scribes and them. Jesus could take and say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm so awesome. Let's, I'm going to show you a messianic miracle. That's just the way it is. He doesn't. He says, bring him over here. Bring him over here. Let's, let's go to the side. Time and time again, uh, we see Jesus is not on the stage for a show. He's there to minister. Uh, I think next week uh, might be a little bit of an exception to that, but we'll get there uh, when time comes, and there's a reason for that. But in this case, he takes him to the side. Um, now, if, it's easy to miss, but there's a what-the-heck-are-you-thinking-Jesus moment in this. Uh, he takes him to the side. The demon seizes Jesus. The demon does what? He freaks out. Jesus isn't for the show, but the demon shows, right? So he's falling about. He goes rigid. He's foaming at the mouth. It's just a complete and total mess of a situation. Dad's like, oh, my gosh, here it is again. This is what I was talking about. And Jesus immediately goes, so how long has this been going on? He starts a conversation in the middle of this chaos that freaks out everybody else. Did you see that? It's like, to, to me, it's like the most bizarre thing in that moment to say it. Because Jesus isn't just wanting to deliver him from the demon. He wants to deliver him from being away from Christ. He's going deeper. There's more here. There's always a miracle behind the miracle. The miracle that we seek is usually secondary to what Christ is trying to do in our freedom, in our own life. So Jesus starts a conversation with him and only speeds up when he sees the crowds coming. He's like, oh, the crowds coming. I'm going to deliver him before they get here and make a big spectacle out of the situation because he's there to minister to the need. So not on the Sabbath, but he does have some different things here as far as not being for show or trying to get a lot of things uh, as far as accolades for himself. And if you notice in verse 28 and 29, as soon as the boy is lifted up and that he is no longer dead, Jesus goes into a house. He goes into a house. He's not, not real big for the show. Okay, Mary, what's number three? There you go, loud and proud. <laughs> loud and proud. Hey, this one's got an interesting one. If you go back to verse 21. 24, I think this is one of the most beautiful dialogues. Jesus talking to the father once the boy's thrown ground. How long has this been happening to him? He said from childhood, um, Satan does what Satan does. He tries to cast him fire. He tries to throw us in the water to destroy him. That's what Satan's goal is, is to destroy us. Um, with it, and that's where a lot of those circumstances come from. Uh, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response is... Um, very kind of telling to me, like the, um, the ten, ten lepers, and the one comes back, thinking that Jesus is like, oh, no, no, no. No, Jesus says, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, I healed ten. Is the other nine still coming? Did they stop by White Castle on the way here? I mean, where, where's the other nine? Why is there only one? Why is the foreigner the only one worshiping me? Not, not to be a jerk, but there's a point here. There's an honest truth here that he deserves worship. Um, and he says a shocking thing here as well. It's like, hey, if there's anything you can do, we, we have this picture of Jesus. It's like, oh, it's okay. I've got you. Just, get, just have faith. Uh, he's just like, if, if I can do something, it, it, it's, almost, it's a shock to him 
versus what we're made to be. Does that make sense? It's like, what do you mean if I, I can? Anything, anything's possible. Anything, all things are possible. Those who believe me. And immediately the father of the child cried out. And this is just unbelievably beautiful. I believe, help my unbelief. Has anybody ever heard that scripture before? Yes. Says me. I mean, a lot of us hold on to that. Um, I, I, I think if, if you're struggling at all, you should slap verse, let's see, 23 on a posting note. All things are possible for those who believe and put on 24. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Because Jesus is saying there is no if here. I am the Messiah. Yes, I can do something about this. Absolutely, I can do something about this. Anyone who believes, everything is possible, period. And I think we believe that. And I be think we believe you're more powerful than 10,000 and we sing it, but in the moment, we're like, God, I know, I know you can. I know you can. I know you can. I just, the circumstances just seem so overwhelming. Or I just, I've been fighting this for so long. Or I just, we pray about it, and it just hasn't happened the timing I, want, I, I was looking for, and I just feel so overwhelmed. And, and, and it's somewhere, one of the biggest faith moment things you can say is, I absolutely know all things are possible through you. I'm struggling hard. Help me with that. I know that you are God, but help me with this disbelief. Help me with this anxiety. Help me with this fear. Help me with this anger. That's a faith statement. It's not a failure on the Father's part. That's not a failure on the Father's part. So if we have both on there to remind us all things are possible, and that will help us with our unbelief, that could really take things a long way. Posting notes are great. Putting your cubicle, your, your, your car. Um, dry waste smokers on your mirrors and your bathrooms. It doesn't matter how long you leave those suckers on there. They wipe right off. Put it on there. I've got, I've got ones for me on my desk. Um, put it on your phone. Put it as a reminder, whatever it takes. That's how you hold on to the truth in the middle of the chaos. So faith matters. Faith matters here. Uh, number four. What's number four? Chuck says turned upside down. Somebody in the back did. Ginger, you say it? Look at you guys. You guys cookie cutters, like bookends. Turn, everything is turned upside down. The boy is free. The dad gets his son. They have life back. That's the gospel. Make sure you don't miss it. We see the gospel over and over and over and over and over again in the scripture, foreshadowings of the gospel. We are separated from our Father. We are left to be destroyed in the sin and the world that's around us. That is Satan's goal. But Jesus Christ can deliver us for those who accept Jesus as leader and forgiven their lives. By acknowledging the mouth, he is the Son of God. Believing in the hearts, he died and rose again. You're God. I'm not. I'm going to submit to you. That brings us back into that reconciliation with God, and we get our daddy back. It's the gospel. Everything gets turned upside down. I love that part of it. Um, the real miracle happens as far as that freedom, as far as that life. Uh, and in the, this situation, Jesus should, um, should be known. Why? Because he cast out a deaf and mute demon. A messianic miracle. So that's going to take us back to a common number five. Uh, I won't make you guess that because we've had two different number fives, so we'll just put it up for you. Uh, not everybody would be on board with the healing. Either you won't want it for yourself because it's too hard and you want to do it your own way. Somebody else loves you being in misery, and they like the company of your misery. They might have a belief that's different than yours. Uh, nonetheless, not everyone will be on board with the healing. So in the case scenario, when Jesus creates a messianic miracle, right? We've, next week we're going to look at raising the dead after they've been dead for three days. 
Uh, we've looked at the healing of leprosy. We've looked at the healing of a birth defect, the blind man, and now a deaf and dumb uh, demon is cast out, which, which is only supposed to be from the Messiah. And we've got good Jewish people here, scribes who know the word inside and out, and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care. It doesn't match up to what they want in their life or what they're willing to accept. And they're curious, like when I was going through my study, I wrote down the question, where's the scribes now? The ones who said, holy cow. Because even though that's not scriptural that those four things are only the Messiah, that's what the scribes had come up with. And they should have been the first ones to recognize it. But instead, they get very, very quiet. As a matter of fact, it becomes threatening. So when you continue into what we got, verses 30 through 32, Jesus ends up taking and going, and going around Galilee in secret. Why? To teach his disciples, they're going to kill me. I must die. I must resurrect. This is part of my father's plan. It's because they will not accept him as Messiah because he doesn't match up to what they want versus what is there. Okay, so all those on play, I'm going to give you a, a sixth one, a new one uh, that's not just specific to this, but is easily seen here. Prayer is our greatest weapon. Prayer is our greatest weapon. When we get to verses 28 and 29, don't miss the fact this is a very vulnerable moment for the disciples. They were devastated and embarrassed. They tried to heal this kid and they couldn't do it. They had done it many times before under the authority of Jesus Christ. Under, under the empowerment that the Spirit had given to them. They couldn't do it, and they get into the house when everybody else is gone and saying, Jesus, what did we do wrong? What happened? What got messed up here? And Jesus says what? This one comes out only by prayer. Now, theologians have been taken and debating this verse eons because it reminds us we don't know everything about the spiritual realm. We just, we don't. Did you ever know that there's demons that you can cast out, but that some of them take extra prayer? It, it, it's not talked about a lot. He doesn't give us everything. He gives us enough. Again, you can go back, I babble an hour about spiritual warfare. He gives us enough to use the authority of Christ today in spiritual warfare, absolutely. But there's more. There's details that we, we will understand someday. Someday. I, I personally don't believe I can get my head around all of it as long as I'm here. But... There's a truth here, too, that we need to brace into. There are demons that can only be cast out by prayer. If you look at the bottom of your page on most of your Bibles, you're going to see this is one of those places with a little notation. On mine, it's a little number two. When I go down the bottom, it says, Some transcripts say this kind only comes out from prayer and fasting. Now, again, this is one of those times that I love. If it's not in all the manuscripts that we have from over centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries of copy after copy after copy after copy of the scribes and those who, the disciples who have passed it on, then they don't put it on the top of the page. They put it at the bottom so that you can make that discernment. Some of them had it, some of them didn't. So it means everything at the top of the page was in every single one of them because that's how meticulous they are. I love that. I love that. But you get to decide, you get to pray, you get to use discernment. Is it prayer or is it prayer and fasting? I'm a simpleton, I don't care. Because prayer and fasting go hand in hand. We just studied that when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. The power of fasting, the power of prayer. Put the two together, awesome. But this is a truth that we won't fully understand, but we have to believe. I truly believe we have to believe. Because there are things in your life and my life that Satan is doing that will only be broken by prayer. Only broken by prayer. We live in a time when people think prayer is crap. Just to be honest. 
All you need is one more national tragedy and look at the comment section in the USA Today and you're going to see people think prayer is crap. This is horrible that this woman lost her son who was shot. I, 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 we need to pray for them. I, don't pray for them. Do something. Get up and do something. Prayers for, need nothing. That's what people say. Prayers mean nothing. And I don't know this lady. I don't know how to go get her. And I will stand up. And you guys know that we're involved in different things for, for our community for, for the right reasons. But the most powerful thing I absolutely believe that I can do for her and her family and for the situation is to get down on my knees and pray about it. According to Scripture, prayer is the most powerful tool that he has given to us. So I understand the... the the thought process behind it because prayer has become a platitude to us, even in the church. You get talking to somebody and they're going through a tough time. You're like, well, I'll be praying for you. And then you never pray for them. You just mostly didn't know what to say and wanted to get away from it and still look like a nice poison. Prayer is the most powerful thing that we have. It moves demons. It moves life. It moves the things that we struggle with in, in, in this particular area. I, I love just how powerful it is within it. Now, when you look at this, do me a favor. Here's a little study for you. Starting back at 14 and going through 29, can anyone point out to me when Jesus stopped and prayed? You're not going to find it. He didn't. He didn't. Jesus has prayed up. Jesus believed in prayer so much that he spent nights, nights crying out to his father at night get up early when everybody else was in bed. We see it over and over again in the scripture. He's prayed up. It's not a situation where like, I'm just going to keep doing it the best I can, the best I can, the best I can, and then when it gets too much, I'm going to get down on my knees and pray about it. He has prayed up. So it's an immediate moment that he's ready to move within this situation. Prayer is one of the greatest weapons that we have. It's power, power. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.